When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride. Well, they did it. Against all odds, the Raiders found a way to accomplish their biggest and really only goal of the season, make the playoffs. They'll face a familiar foe and a team that they that beat them back in week 11, the Cincinnati Bengals. So I brought back another guest from earlier in the season, Mr. John Sheeran, co-host of the Orange and Black Insider and deputy manager of Cincy Jungle, SB Nation's site that covers all things Cincinnati Bengals. John, thanks for coming back, man. How are you doing? I'm good, Matt. It's playoffs, man. You know, it's two teams that a lot of people didn't think would be in this position, and we're, we're here talking about it. So, you know, it, might as well take advantage of it. <laughs> and I feel like it's two. It's like it's two teams that I feel like haven't had a playoff win in a while. I haven't been out. I've been out of the playoff mix for a little bit too. So it's it's a fun, exciting matchup. Ben Baby, who's the Bengals ESPN reporter, I think he tweeted out like this is the first matchup in the history of the NFL playoffs where it's like two teams with playoff drought playoff wind droughts of 18 years plus me so wow. this, this is history <laughs> it is it says someone's got to break some history this week someone has to win right not like last week where the Raiders <laughs> were hoping for a tie <laughs> uh, but before God, we get started why don't you tell people where they can find you since I know you do do some NFL draft work as well oh yes yeah. so again I'm like you said the deputy manager of Cincy Jungle and whenever the season ends for the Bengals we'll be Kickstarting some draft coverage there, so you can find all my work at cincyjungle.com. And at least for this week, for Raiders fans who want to get that perspective from the, from the other side, you can listen to our podcast, the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We'll, we will go live, I believe, Wednesday night at 5.30 West Coast time. So definitely check that out if you want that perspective. Awesome. Yeah, I always tell people every time, we got to keep tabs on the enemy, make sure they're uh, what they've got going on over there, make sure there's no funny business or anything. So make sure you give John a follow. Like I said, does a ton of work for the NFL draft, so you'll get a, a lot of good content that's relevant this offseason. Well, let's start and get it, let's get into it. And I want to start out by talking the Bengals' growth as a team. Last time you were here, we were talking about how up and down they were and how that kind of comes with being a young team. But the Bengals are five and three since their bye week, and that includes last week where everyone was resting. So they're really five and two with an impressive win against the Chiefs. So have the young Bengals grown up in the last few weeks? And has it started to be more consistent for them recently? Yeah, I think you could say that. Like the the game against the Raiders is a game that Zach Taylor will tell you was the turning point of the season, and you just kind of alluded to it in, yeah. in the first minute of the show. Where before that game, they had lost two straight against the Jets and the Browns. They couldn't really get a lot of things going offensively, and they were just trounced defensively and whatnot. And they won that game against the Raiders. And Bengals and Raiders fans alike can attest to this. It was not as much of a blowout as the score indicated. Definitely. It was a tightly contested game for about maybe 45 minutes of that contest. And the Bengals went into that game knowing that Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe were going to cause troubles for the Bengals offense. And they did. Max Crosby played fantastic in that game. So they went in planning to run the ball and basically run until it ends up working. And eventually the dam did break. And that's the terminology right. that was used by Zach Taylor. And Mixon ended up having a good game statistically. But it, didn't, it took three quarters to really get to that point. And once they won that game and they won it in that fashion, they found confidence that they don't have to just rely 
on Joe Burrow being super being Superman against the Ravens or against against the the Jaguars earlier in the season. They can be multi-dimensional on offense depending on what the defense does well. And from that game forward, you know, they they destroyed the Steelers, they swept them. They ran into some trouble against the Chargers and 49ers, but at least they found ways to be competitive in those games despite some issues in them. And then against the Denver Broncos, another AFC West team, they went into that game knowing that the Broncos' defense was going to be really stingy. They had, they experienced troubles passing the ball, but again, they stuck to a formula of just keeping things in front of them, just basically taking what the defense gives them, and they ended up winning a tough game there. And then they ran into some bad defenses against the Ravens and then and the Chiefs, and then they experienced an offensive explosion. So they've found ways to win in multiple ways ever since that Raiders win. And you've also seen a growth of Joe Burrow kind of reigniting some of that LSU magic in his pocket movements and his creativity that we haven't really seen in the first 20 or so games of Burrow's NFL career. So they definitely changed a lot since that Raiders win, but I think it's just more confidence that they can win in multiple ways, depending on what the opposition does well. So I think you've kind of answered this a little bit, but is uh, what would you say is the biggest difference between the team now compared to the beginning of the season? Is that what you're talking about with that adaptive style where they're not trying to just stick to what they do or one thing that they do really well and kind of been more free flowing with the game plan? I think that's part of it. I, I think they were still finding themselves in the beginning of the season because they weren't sure how strong Joe's knee was going to be coming out and they wanted to protect him by running the ball and getting the ball out quickly. And once he got more games and snaps under his belt and he started getting more comfortable, then you started seeing the evolution of the passing game kind of take off and you really saw it in the last two weeks. But I think just seeing it work against teams like the Raiders and the Broncos where they don't have to just drop back Joe 40 times and spread spread teams out with their receivers. The fact that they can find success with their defense in the run game in situations where it matters, I think that gives them confidence to go into each week and then change up the game plan as they see fit. And I don't think that was probably the case in the first seven or eight weeks of the season. Gotcha. Well, you bring, you, excuse me there. We bring up uh, Joe Burrow who has been on fire recently nearly a thousand yards and like 10 touchdowns in those last two games, an absolutely unreal run. So I'm curious, has the offense changed? Has that adaptation kind of helped unlock him a little bit, or is he just kind of connecting with his receivers a little bit more? Is there some kind of in between or is it some combination of the, of the two there? Probably a combination. I, I think uh, in general T Higgins, uh, he was kind of hurt in the beginning of the season. And when Jamar chase was popping off a little bit, Higgins was kind of, kind of a backstory to it all. And then Higgins, Got more, got healthier, and he ended up getting more targets with Chase uh, drawing a lot of attention for the defense. Then he had his run starting with the Steelers game in Week 12, and then against the Steelers, Chargers, 49ers, and then the Ravens. He had tremendous outings in that game. So just having him be this dynamic guy on the opposite side of Chase has really opened things up for the passing offense in general. And I think just the offense having more trust in Joe Burrow in some of these situations where. Earlier in the season, they either didn't want Burrow to take as many hits or they didn't trust their pass protection. And we can still talk about the pass protection not being that great. But just the fact that Burrow seems to be more comfortable extending plays and getting out of the pocket and keeping plays alive, moving around on that knee, I think that's also opened up things with the passing game and has created more flexibility in that in that regard as well. So it's it really does feel like all things are kind of coming together in that sense. And this is like where the offense wants to get to in the long term with three receivers and Burrow do, doing what he does. So we're now just kind of seeing that kind of being realized now that Burrow is fully healthy. Gotcha. So part of the reason why I asked you that question is because Burrow's lowest yardage total and his lowest PFF grade for what it's worth came against the Raiders. 
So I'm curious if there was something that you noticed about the Raiders, that the Raiders defense that seemed to affect Burrow in a way that maybe other teams haven't been able to. Is that something that you think will play a factor this time around as well? I mean, it should. I think Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby are still as good as they were in that True. game. And now you have you had Riley Reef, the Bengals starting right tackle against Crosby. He didn't play very well. Now you have a backup to Riley Reef and Isaiah Prince, who has played decent in spurts this season, but he's still a backup for a reason. I think that's by far the biggest mismatch in this entire game, and it's the biggest advantage that the Raiders have. How much is that going to impact what the Bengals do offensively? It remains to be seen, but the Bengals are cognizant of it. They realize they, they praised Max Crosby a ton, <laughs> at least today in the press conference, and rightfully so. He's, a, he's at bare minimum a top-five edge player this year. He is worthy of all the accolades that come with that. So like that was the main thing as to why the Bengals couldn't get anything offensively going. Like Gus Bradley's still a really good defensive coordinator, and Joe Burrow has right. now played, I think, two games against his style of defense. So he's got things to take away, but they definitely limited what Jamar Chase did in that game. And ultimately, it came down to a lack of trust in their pass protection against Crosby and Ngakwe, and even other guys on the Raiders' defensive line. But really, Crosby on the edge, I, I think that really impacted how much they trusted their drop back passing game and why they were so reliant on Joe Mixon in that one. And that could more or less be the same in this game. Gotcha. So it sounds like we're expecting, or we should expect some uh, short, quick passes and a lot more runs on, on, on Saturday, excuse me, almost said Sunday there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think at least early in the game, just to get like a rhythm going, if you, Definitely. if you will. And, you know, Prince could step up and play a decent game, but you know, however, many times that you try to chip or double team Max Crosby, you have to believe that he's getting through at least once or twice in a critical yeah. <laughs> situation. And that could be the difference in the game. Gotcha. Well, real quick before we move on, I know Burrow tweaked his knee a couple of weeks ago against Kansas city in his last game. I'm sure he's going to be playing on Saturday, but do you have an idea of how severe the injury is or how it could or might impact him on Saturday? We didn't really know about this injury with the chiefs, but it was actually ori originally from the chargers game a few weeks okay. back. And that's when he injured his pinky, uh, his right pinky, which has become an afterthought with how well he's playing, but he's still dealing with a dislocated pinky <laughs> as well. But apparently it was a hit or a sack that he took against the chargers and no one really talked about it. He's especially didn't talk about it. And then a month later, he, I guess, re-injured it against the chiefs. And he said that he was able to play in the rest of the game if if we had to gone in, into overtime or something but he knew that all they had to do was like knee on it so he went out of the game so obviously there was no reason for him to play against the browns with them basically yeah. locking up the division and not really worried about getting the getting the two or one seed with the chiefs and the titans winning so he's fine to, to play like he's i mean he's just one of those guys that's not going to really complain about injuries or really <laughs> like you know, show weakness as to yeah. why he can't play or whatnot, but I don't think it's necessarily something to worry about, at least in the short term. Gotcha. Well, now that we've gone over Burrow, I think it's only natural to talk about Jamar Chase, and Chase has put together a fantastic rookie season, but his production has kind of come in spurts. For example, he had his 200-yard outing in Week 7, then hit a seven-game stretch where he only st really stood out once with two TDs against the 49ers, then uh, a burst again as part of Burrow's end-of-the-season run. So my question is, what's the biggest difference between 200-yard and multiple touchdowns, Chase, and the guy who seems to blend in a little bit? Is there a specific type of coverage or a matchup that he struggles with or what have you? I think two things really stick out with Chase in the roller coaster season that he was on. And I look back at that Raiders game. He was targeted six times, had three catches for 30 yards. He had the touchdown late in the game, but the Raiders did mm -hmm. a fantastic job of taking away anything deep and just basically right. keeping, uh, keeping them on, on top of him. And the evolution of Chase in this offense has gone from 
in the first seven weeks, he was just separating a lot on deep routes, and that's how he was getting the vast majority of his production. Teams started to bracket him. They put cloud coverage over, over top of him, and they didn't really change Chase's role and his route tree that much. Over the past couple weeks now, you're seeing Jamar Chase more in the slot, getting some one-on-one matchups in there with less safety attention, and you're also seeing Chase elevate his game in terms of contested catch situations and getting opportunities to run after the catch. In LSU, he was a great, phenomenal jump ball receiver that, that would basically climb the ladder against some of these SEC cornerbacks. And that was a lethal part of this game, and we didn't really see that in the first 14 or 15 games of the season. And over the past couple of weeks, you're seeing a lot more contested catches that Chase is bringing down in those situations. And I think specifically against the Raiders, he had a handful of those, of those opportunities and he couldn't come down with it. But the difference now against like the Raiders and the Chiefs is he's bringing down these contested catches in these one-on-one situations when he has one-on-ones and he's not necessarily getting separation um, up top. So it's been him being moved into the slot and getting opportunities to run after the catch and he used that part of his game as well as just him taking more advantages of against tight tight man contested coverages so it's really just been him elevating the game and also I think the offense kind of getting more creative with him gotcha well I'm glad you bring that up because it actually kind of is a perfect little lead into my next question because I know you mentioned the contested catches have been a big big factor but I did notice that Chase's yards are yards after the catch per reception numbers have gone up in the last few weeks and his average depth of target has gone down or been below his average for him so it sounds like the Bengals are starting to get them more involved in like the short and intermediate passing game and started getting get them in uh, working after the catch a little bit more in the last few weeks. Yeah, definitely. And I think they're more comfortable in doing so because like T Higgins, they obviously have a ton of respect for him right. and they, they praise him a ton, but he wasn't necessarily viewed as like the deep target compared to chase, mm-hmm. right? It was, it was chase as the vertical threat and Higgins as the possession guy. And now we're seeing T. Higgins becoming a vertical threat that he wasn't last year, but kind of like what he was at Clemson. So if you can have Higgins garnering attention for safeties to, to get over the top and you can ha- and you can create space for Chase to work underneath, now you have two guys that have interchangeable roles in that sense and you're not really focused solely on getting Chase involved vertically if you can have Higgins do that. So just both of them kind of having these interchanging roles I think has really done a lot for not only the offense, but just getting Chase more involved in a more consistent fashion. Well, John, you just answered my next question or my follow-up to you uh, again, which is going to be about T. Higgins and how they kind of blended him. Because like you said, I mean, T. Higgins, I feel like he gets kind of lost in the mix a little bit. But the guy's had uh, a 100-yard game in four out of his last six, four out of five if you don't count last week, and has really been kind of this interesting uh, interesting receiver for them. Again, another 1,000-yard guy, but obviously he's going to pale in comparison to the 1,400-yard rookie. But I am going to curious for you. Uh, curious for you. You've had A.J. Green. You've had – um, Chad Ochocinco, a lot of good receivers out in Cincy. You've had AJ Green and Ochocinco at the same time. How would you compare T. Higgins and Jamar Chase to that duo? Oh man, like just the fact that Chase and Higgins are doing this at 21 and 22 years old with an inexperienced quarterback, I think that has to mean something. And we could talk about the evolution of just the NFL and making it easier to pass and whatnot, but. Higgins, at the end of the day, probably should have been a first-round pick. Jamar Chase was rightfully the fifth overall pick. Like These are two really talented studs, and the Bengals have never been shy about uh, investing draft capital in the wide receiver position, but Higgins and Chase have arguments for just being two of the most talented receivers in modern team history. Like Chad Johnson was a phenomenal pro, but he wasn't exactly that coming out of Oregon State when he first entered the league. He really honed in on his craft as a route runner and really took it 
just maximize whatever athletic ability that he has. You look at Tiggins and Chase, even compared to AJ Green, these two are phenomenal athletes that are really developing into their own, and they're playing with one of the best quarterbacks in team history already. So just all of those factors lead up to just this duo being probably the most lethal in modern team history. And, and I think if they both stay healthy and stay with the team for a long time, they're going to set a lot of records together. Yeah, and the one guy I forgot to bring up that I, that deserves a shout-out, our guy uh, TJ Husmandaza, former Raider as well. So, yeah, I mean, the <laughs> Bengals have never had a shortage of, of really good wide receivers. Tyler Boyd, another guy that's uh, been a really good guy in the past, taking a bit of a backseat to Chase and Higgins in the past. But Boyd has been a quality slot receiver this year. So how has he find, found a way to fit into this offense in a different role than a couple of years ago as the third receiver? Yeah, I think his role has mainly stayed the same. He just stays in the slot, and he works – um, a similar number of routes in his route tree. There, there have been times when you know Higgins and Chase don't really get involved, and then Boyd ends up breaking off for a big game. I think he had two of his longest touchdowns of his career in back-to-back weeks against the Broncos and the and the Ravens. Ravens obviously didn't have one to win the game, teams. right? Yeah, exactly. Against the Broncos, that was the go-ahead yeah. score, and and the Ravens, of course, their secondary was just trash that day but <laughs> it, it was still a, a testament to I think Boyd's ability as a route runner in the slot and that really hasn't changed in the entire time that he has been a Bengal there have been times when you know AJ Green has been hurt or AJ Green is taking some attention away and Boyd becomes a, the number two but now that he's clearly the third most talented receiver in this trio like you'll, you'll take Tyler Boyd as your number three all day considering what yeah. he can do gotcha well, other than that trio of wideouts, um, is there anyone else that Cincy uh, has in their in their uh, passing game that could impact the game? I, I don't think um, I don't think Joe Mixon will get that many targets in the passing game. Obviously, he's going to do most of his damage in the run if he does get those opportunities. But it really just has been those three. They haven't really rotated those guys out because gotcha. Auden Tate, their number four coming into the season, he's been hurt. He just got activated off of IR, but we don't know if he's actually going to play in the Raiders game. They haven't really gone to anyone else, at least at the receiver position. CJ Uzama um, has been solid as a tight end, but he's not really that much of a difference maker unless um, the defense is just terrible at <laughs> taking away tight ends. So it's really just, it's really been those three, and that's really just all they've kind of needed because they've been productive just with them. Yeah, I mean, those three, like we talked about, are pretty damn good. So I don't know if I'd throw the ball to anybody else either, but brought up Joe Mixon, and he had a bit of a breakout performance last time against the Raiders. It was the first time he had had over 100 yards in about in like 10 weeks and was a big part of sealing the win late like we just talked about. Has that success continued for Mixon since then, or did the Raiders just seem to get lucky and catch him on a career day? <laughs> Joe Mixon loves to play against the Raiders, apparently. I think <laughs> he's from the Bay Area where the Raiders obviously used to be. And I, I believe it was 2019 when he scored, I think, a touchdown or two and had a decent day, and he had his whole family there. So he has a good history of playing against the Raiders. <laughs> and, yeah, just, just that game, just their mindset going in to, you know, not giving Max Crosby that many opportunities to rust the passer. And then it kind of bled into the next week where they played T.J. Watt and the Steelers, and then Mixon had an even better day on the ground, 165 <laughs> yards on 28 carries against the Steelers. Ever since then, the passing game has kind of carried the Bengals' offense, and Mixon has been an afterthought. He's averaged about 60 yards a game in the last four or five games of the regular season. So, again, it's, it really is just matchup-based, and that that's, that's the intriguing part of this game for me because now you're combining a, a matchup where you have two really good pass rushers against the Bengals, but you have this recent passing explosion. How much does that continue, and how much does Joe Mixon uh, get reinvolved into the equation to kind of balance that? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. Gotcha. 
And I did see that Mixon's on the COVID list as of Monday. Not sure if he got off of it already, but if he can't go, who's going to be the Bengals back and what does that guy bring to the table? So I think Mixon and everyone else who was on the COVID list has since been activated since I believe like Monday at noon or something. And if he wasn't able to go, it would have been Samaj P. Ryan and Chris Evans to back him up. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, let's talk about the big guys up front. And one guy that I think played really well in week 11, but won't be suiting up or that you mentioned on uh, the beginning of the show is going to be Riley Reef. Can you tell us about his replacement? I've already forgotten his name, <laughs> um, <laughs> but can you tell us about his replacement and what the, the Bengals are going to be missing without Reef? Yeah, so Isaiah Prince is has been the replacement to R- Riley Reef, and his story is interesting because no one really expected him to make the roster, at least going into like August, and then he had a really good training camp in preseason. He opted out, I believe, in 2020, so that's why he became an afterthought entering the 2021 season, and he played in practice really well enough to earn him a roster spot, but again, no one was really counting on him to contribute because they signed Riley Reef, and, and Riley Reef was touted to be this this answer at a position that the Bengals have been terrible at for years and now they're back to another backup in Prince and he's been really up and down this season because at the beginning he started off as like an extra blocker that they would use on certain run packages and he was really good in that role and then they eventually had to play more for Reef as he was suffering these injuries and then eventually in week 13 he ended up coming in for him full time and ever since then like he had a decent game against the Steelers he had a decent game against the Chargers but Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. He, he's he, I mean, he's faced Nick Bosa. He's faced, I, I believe, Melvin Ingram. He's faced uh, Jadavian Clowney in like three of the last four games, and it's not really gone well. So it, it makes sense, though, because he's like at the end of the day, yeah. he's just a, a, he's a, a spot starter, if you will. And there's some That's good true. qualities to him, but he's not someone that you can rely on for 40, 50 pass snaps a game and expect a perfect game out of him. So at the end of the day, it's a mismatch for any high quality starting edge. Gotcha. So I am curious to think it. And I think I know your answer just based on what you've been saying. I'm sure you watched the the Sunday night football game and saw Max Crosby terrorize Storm Norton, who is a, who's also a backup right tackle in similar situation been playing. So how worried are you about that matchup between Prince and Crosby going into Saturday? Well, after, I guess, kind of besmirching Prince, I will say he's better than Storm Norton because I don't think there's a right tackle <laughs> gotcha. that's okay. worse than Storm Norton. But <laughs> um, I don't know how the Bengals can watch that game and not say, yeah, we probably need to help Isaiah uh, a little bit and maybe give him a chip here and there, maybe a chip release from the tight end. The fact that the Chargers left Storm Norton on an island against Max Crosby, of all people, will never will never not blow my mind. So I think they're <laughs> going to learn from that just maybe a little bit. 
Gotcha. Yeah. It, it blew my mind too, but I was sitting there. I'm not going to question it. So, <laughs> but yeah, it, that last drive especially was a lot of wins for Crosby, Crazy. not a whole lot of wins for Norton. So I want to talk about the tackle on the other side for a second, Jonah Williams, who has graded out pretty well as a run blocker this year and done well in pass protection as well. So how do you see Williams making an impact on this game, especially considering it's the second time we'll be going off against the Raiders defensive line? Yeah, I think Williams and Ngakwe is like the the underrated matchup because all the attention is on Crosby against against the backup and Prince and Jonah. I, th- I think he's just a solid player. I, I don't see him as a dominant left tackle by any means, but I don't think he's going to have many embarrassing losses, if you will. I think Ngakwe is going to get his a few times, and he may end up getting a sack or two on Burrow. It just depends on you know wh- when those sacks happen in, in the game situation. But you know Jonah's technique is pretty 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 damn special i would say for being mm-hmm. only 23 24 years old his athleticism as a pass protector sometimes is a little bit limited he gets in trouble sometimes with the size specifically in run blocking it, like the shorter arms don't really help him out against maybe some quick twitched edges but i think as a pass protector he'll play a, a relatively clean game but uh, you know against talented guys in ngakwe especially guys who are as violent with their hands as him i, I think he could get past them a couple times gotcha well, circling back to last time again, if I remember correctly, there was some instability on the interior of Cincy's O-line. So can you tell us about the other guys who's filling out the Bengals' offensive line and what to expect from them? So we have Quinn Spain at left guard, Trey Hopkins at center, and Hakeem Adeniji at right guard. Now, Adeniji made his first his first start against the Browns right before the Raiders game, but he played pretty well against the Raiders, and I think that game was the, the deciding factor for the staff, the Bengals staff, to basically keep Adeniji at right guard going forward and ever since then he hasn't been as good as when he played against the Raiders so I'll, I'm interested to see if he plays as well as he did in that game or if the recent trend of his inconsistencies kind of continue here. Quinn Spain has been um, injured his ankle against the Chiefs two weeks ago but he should be back for this game but even even so if he plays that's still something to monitor in case he may re-injure it during the game and Trey Hopkins has been a lot better at center ever since the middle of the season he tore his ACL back in uh, almost like exactly a year ago in the regular season finale of the 2020 season and it really did take him basically half the year to get his feet under him and to play like the guy that they extended a couple years ago so he's been playing a lot better as the year came to a close but it really is those two guards that you don't know exactly how well they're going to fare in this game because one is dealing with injuries and one is unfortunately probably not starting material gotcha changing gears to the other side of the ball trey hendrickson has managed to get at least a half sack in all but three games this season including week 11 when he had a half sack and four pressures in las vegas so can you describe his skill set and touch on how he's been able to be so consistent because i've got to imagine he's got a lot of tools in the pass rush tool belt to be able to beat so many different offensive linemen yeah, he's fun to watch, not because he explodes off of the line or he you know, unloads these bull rushes, but he is phenomenal with his hands, and he'll come at you with counters. He'll set up some pass rushes in the first or second quarter and then kind of counter that with, with you know um, secondary moves towards the later half of the game. And this was really evident against the Chiefs. He played really well against Joe Tooney, who had to move out to left tackle in that game. And I think just him producing that much on a consistent basis without really one dominant athletic trait that like a Miles Garrett or a TJ Watt has I think that's been really impressive this season you've really seen him basically use everything in his toolbox as a pass rusher and that's been really fun to watch but he again he's not gonna 
you know, run right into the left tackle and, and, and bull him back back off his feet. He's not going to unleash this crazy fast spin move. It's going to be a lot of hand usage and a lot of working around the edge. He'll love to dip and and bend ar- ar- around the top of the arc to get to Derek Carr in this game. And I think that that plan is going to continue for him. Yeah, I mean, one thing that uh, I'm a former defensive lineman, one thing our coach has always hammered us home with, beat the hands, beat the man, and that'll work against just about anybody. So I can uh, I see where you're coming from there, but definitely. Uh, Sam Hubbard, known as the better run defender between he and Hendricks, but Hubbard has had a career high for pressures this season and had seven and a half sacks, the second most of his career. So how has Hubbard kind of grown as a pass rusher this year? I don't really think he's grown that much. I think it's mainly just matchup. Um, based like how well he does in certain games in, against the pass uh, I believe we talked about this in in, the, in before the first matchup I think it was like Brandon Parker or yeah it was, I think it was Brandon Parker at right yeah. tackle and and that was a matchup where Hubbard could, could potentially make some noise just because it, it that really that really is what it comes down to if he has a dominant right tackle or an above average right tackle and pass protection that he's facing you can't really count on him to make that much of an impact against the pass but he remains a consistent run defender, and that's really just, like you said, his bread and butter. So, uh, it, you know, th- there could be situations where they kind of unleash him on, on third down, but more or less you're not really expecting that much uh, of game-breaking ability compared to Hendrickson. Gotcha. Well, one thing that I think is different about this Raiders offense than in Week 11 is their running game has been much better, and as their offensive line has improved as run blockers. So how stout is the Bengals front against the run, and specifically like their defensive tackles? How do you see that matchup playing out? I think this is a, a sneaky advantage for the Raiders, I would say. The the Bengals had some troubles defending the Chiefs running game against their really dominant offensive line, and I think the Chiefs had a backup running back in that game. So Josh Jacobs is already really tough to tackle, and this could be a, a, a yeah. environment where it's going to be like 20 degrees and cold. So this is a game where it's on. You know, you have the, the whole body blows argument, and the Raiders offensive line, like you said, has been playing really well in recent weeks. The Bengals have good bodies at defensive line, I'm not going to say that they're like they're a, a terrible run defending team. They're definitely better than the than the than the, the uh, Chargers in that sense. <laughs> but there are some there are some moments in games where they kind of you know they, they, they allow a little bit too much up the middle. And DJ Reader, Larry Ogunjobi, BJ Hill, those are your um, significant starting defensive tackles. Reader has been phenomenal against the run, but you're not really having a lot of consistency out of Ogunjobi in that regard. So maybe BJ Hill gets a lot more snaps in his place at three technique because he's the more reliable run defender. And then you have Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson who really stepped up as run defenders as at, at linebacker. But again, Jacobs is one of the more talented running backs in terms of getting yards after contact and against that offensive line. It could be, it could be somewhat of an equalizer for the Raiders. I would say, well, let's move back level and talk about Cincinnati's linebackers. Last time we chatted about, uh, we chatted about how Logan Wilson started the year strong, but has tapered off a bit. Um, so has he been a little bit more stable lately? I know you said he's been better at playing the run. So, Yeah, so he injured his shoulder against the Chargers back in like week 13, and he missed three games because of that. And because of that, uh, Jermaine Pratt has had to basically take over the communications dot in his helmet and move over to middle linebacker, and he's really stepped up in his place. But Wilson is now back, and I think he played one game coming off of the injury against the Chiefs, and he played pretty well. But yeah, leading up to that game, he was playing his best. He was definitely much better as a run defender compared to him as a rookie. So hopefully for the Bengals, they'll have both their starting linebackers out there to, to face the Raiders' offensive line. And they've definitely been a lot better in run defense, specifically with Jermaine Pratt. That's basically where he's made the biggest jump for him. Gotcha. So is it kind of more like Wilson's more of the coverage guy and Pratt's more of the, the run defender? Is that, that kind of balance? Or is it a little bit of both guys doing both at, at this point? 
that's definitely the perception because Wilson has four interceptions attached to his name, but I don't think that Wilson has been as good in coverage as maybe advertised. I think there's definitely been some sore spots in that regard, and they're honestly pretty similar as players just with the way that they play. I think they're much better going downhill as run defenders than they are playing in space, but at least Pratt, I think, has made some jumps in, in pass coverage. So it's almost like, for me, it's almost the opposite. Like I, I would trust like Wilson much more run defense, and okay. there's been more instances where Pratt has been good dropping back into, into deep coverages so it's kind of, they're more or less the same player I, I would say at this point gotcha moving on to the secondary and I know that last time we talked about how great Shadobi Awuzie has been but he's and he's continued to kind of get continued to play extremely well and he's currently PFF's third highest graded corner so can you tell us again about what he's brought to the Bengals defense this season so he has been I don't want to say lockdown, but he has given them an an option to move with the with the uh, the opposing offense's best receiver, and that's something that they haven't had in recent years. He's really elevated his game in man coverage because he left Dallas, I believe, as like this the zone primary cover cornerback, and I think just his abilities as a man cover corner have really elevated in this defense, and he's just been one of the more consistent players in the entire roster, really. And I think him combined with Eli Apple somehow playing pretty well for mm-hmm. Eli Apple standards have really enhanced that secondary as a whole and has allowed them to do what they want with the Wuzier and basically line him up wherever they please. And he hasn't really been stuck to one side of the formation. He he's, I think he followed Tyreek Hill around for most of that chiefs game. And he limited Tyreek Hill to maybe 40 yards on six receptions. And he's been really solid at run defense too. So just his just natural movement skills as as a cornerback, both in run defense and in coverage, has been really impressive, and he's really, I think, playing to the utmost of his potential. Gotcha. Well, you brought up Eli Apple, and I am curious about since he's number two corner. So, has he kind of taken over over ahead of like a Vernon Hargraves or a Trey Wayans over the last few weeks as that number two corner in that role? Yeah. So the dynamic here was that Trey Wayne's entered the season hurt uh, with like a hamstring injury and he hasn't really been healthy the entire season. He's now healthy now, but Eli Apple has honestly played well enough to stay over Trey Wayne's on that depth chart, despite making like 15 million less than Trey Wayne's on average. (laughs) I think he had arguably his best game against the Raiders. And I know the late interception definitely helps that perception, but he played pretty well in that game regardless. And he's been playing it just as well. Um, ever since that game towards the end of the season. And he had a couple of rough moments against the Chiefs, but it's the Chiefs. You know, what are you going to do? So, um, <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, he's definitely playing starting caliber cornerback right now, and that's more than what the Bengals could say about Trey Waynes in the first two years that he's been there. <laughs> gotcha. So Mike Hilton patrols the slot for the Bengals and has played pretty well in Week 11, just giving up just, giving up just one catch for negative two yards. But Hunter Renfro and Derek Carr have built up a much stronger connection since then. So how do you feel about that matchup in the slot, Hilton versus Hent Renfro? Yeah, Hilton kind of made me eat my words because Renfro against Hilton was something that I identified like in that first matchup as a huge mismatch and a, a huge mismatch, excuse me. And Hilton held his own pretty well in that game. And ever since then, I think Hilton has improved as a cover corner in, in the slot. But I think Renfro at this point is almost matchup proof where just him and Carr <laughs> are really lethal in some of the situations. So I think... There's not a lot that Hilton can do against that. I think just limiting as many times as they connect on third down will be enough. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's definitely something now that the evolution of, of Renfro and Carr's connection has grown. It, it's some, it's going to be a tall task for Hilton, it, for sure. Gotcha. 
Again, continuing to build off our last conversation, we talked about how Jesse Bates had been struggling and not playing this well. I think one of the biggest things was missed tackles. So has that changed at all since November? Is he starting to play better and more consistent? Yeah, I think, again, like Bates has played at a lower level compared to what he did in 2020, but I don't think he's necessarily been a bad player. Um, the, the missed tackles have been really inconsistent. Like one week he'll be fine, one week he'll miss a handful, but at least towards the end of the season, you didn't really see many bad moments out of Jesse Bates. And I think in general, the Bengals defense has done a good job of evolving with the other offenses in the league. Like last year, they had Jesse Bates as the single high safety in in some of their single high coverages. And they've played a lot more split safety looks this season. And that's included Von Bell putting him back in deep coverage. And he's kind of almost thrived in that role, which is, which was very unexpected. So Jesse Bates has been playing more, of a different role this season and I don't and I think that's almost kind of hurt his production he's been targeted a lot less but there hasn't really been a lot of oh crap Jesse Bates is screwing up uh, moments it's just really been been him kind of being unnoticeable back there but that has also meant that he hasn't missed as many tackles as maybe the perception is yeah I've always said with safeties it's one of those positions and corners too it's like if you don't hear their name on the broadcast that usually means they're playing pretty well right right Right? if they're not getting exposed not making any uh not giving up any big plays so and then you brought up Von Bell, and from the looks of it, he's been a pretty good addition for Cincy's defense over the last couple of years. So what does Von Bell bring uh, bring to their defense? So, I mean, they will tell you that they love his leadership, and I, I can't really speak for that because we're not in the locker room and stuff, but <laughs> you, you can definitely tell that he's one of those leaders on defense, and I, I think, honestly, he's made more impact plays than Jesse Bates at, at that position. There was one phenomenal play against the Chiefs where it was like a 60-yard bomb from Mahomes to Tyreek Hill down the field and Hill was basically a second away from catching and getting the Chiefs in field goal range and Bell was basically backtracking with Hill for the entire time and punched the ball out and it's been moments like that in in just certain moments in in this season where Von Bell has come up pretty big but it's also met with he's had more kind of bonehead plays I would say compared to Jesse Bates, whether it be a bad angle and, and run defense or, or getting lost in coverage. And granted, Jesse Bates has had some of those moments as well, but it, it's weird. Von Bell's season has been almost like a roller coaster when you identify certain games where he makes this phenomenal play and then he's charged with either like a dumb penalty or he's <laughs> basically taking a bad angle. So Von Bell's Von Bell. I, I think he's played fine with the role that he has, but he, at, at the end of the day, he's more or less kind of limited as, as this deep safety that he's now been playing as. Gotcha. So it's kind of sounds like he's turned into more of like a, a boomer bust type of player. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. To wrap things up, what would you say the biggest key to success for is going to be for each team heading to Sunday? Example, if the, Ra- the Raiders win, if, or the Bengals win, if. I think the Bengals win if Max Crosby has like a, an okay game, which I think is the expectation. I think at the very least, Max Crosby is going to get some wins. Yannick Ngakwe is going to get some wins. I think you have to go into this game just accepting that. I think you also have to accept that Hunter Renfro is going to get his. Like he may not have like 150 yards, but he's going to have some some key moments where he converts third downs or he gets the Raiders into scoring range. And you can say the same thing with Darren Waller too. We haven't really talked about him, but <laughs> I, I, and I know that, and you can speak on this better than I have. But like he may not be like the 2020 version of Darren Waller with, with that injury, but he's still a factor out there and he's still a presence that you have to account for. The Raiders, at the end of the day, they're here in the playoffs for a reason. They have good players, and they have a really good quarterback dealing with all of this adversity that, that they had, and those players 
are going to get theirs. You don't see a lot of blowouts and dominant performances in playoff games. The Raiders are going to keep this game more interesting than maybe the spread would even indicate. But I think as so long as the Bengals manage to limit those stars in terms of keeping Crosby away from Burrow as much as possible, I think their passing game is going to continue to be effective and it's going to give them enough points to outscore Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs in a frigid environment on a short week, unfortunately, for the Raiders playing from Sunday night to now Saturday afternoon. I think that will be enough for the Bengals. But the Raiders can definitely win and keep this game at least close if Max Crosby goes off against a backup tackle and even Ngakwe in, in tandem with him. And if Carr connects with Renfro and Waller too many times, I, I don't think the Bengals' defense is necessarily dominant enough to take out those guys completely. So like, th- there are definitely paths for both these teams to, to win. Yeah, I mean, Waller's kind of an interesting guy heading into the game because last week was his first game back and I think like five or six games since Thanksgiving at least. And, you know, obviously didn't have the greatest game. We weren't expecting a whole lot for him. Don't think he's at 100%. Hopefully he'll get closer to back to that with more time this week. But uh, it'll be an interesting matchup because, like you said, this year he hasn't quite been the same as what he has in the past. But I think part of that had to do with the coverage. Um, in the beginning of the season, they were they were bracketing him, which ended up breaking things open for Renfro. And then we saw on Sunday, you know, teams were taking away Renfro. Uh, they pointed it out on the broadcast, bracketing him in the slot. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I'm excited to watch first playoff game to see for us since 2016 and before that since 2003 for the Bengals. I know it's been a while too, um, but I'm excited to watch. I can't, can't wait to see. Can't wait for Saturday. John, thanks again for hopping on. One more time, where can people find you? Yeah, um, again, cincyjungle.com for all the news analysis of, of this game and also for t- tomorrow's preview of the Raiders, uh, the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Definitely check that out. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on, John. You guys know where to find me on Twitter, AdamHolder95. Make sure you're following Silver and Black Pride. Other than that, until next time, guys. <laughs>